2: Welcome everyone to a Wednesday edition of GC Live Talking Tuesday. So it's a GC Live Talking Wednesday night. I'm Mike Yuva and Intern Joe is off tonight. We are sending our condolences to his family. Losing a, uh, I think he said it was his great grandfather. So uh, Joe, we are keeping you and your family in our prayers tonight. But no Intern Joe tonight. Uh, But the show still goes on and there's a lot to talk about. I mean, since we last talked, you've had shane beamer beginning the welcome home tour i was in aiken last night and we will hear from shane and some of the things that he had to say last night that i thought were interesting about the transfer portal that second window which if you guys remember last week last tuesday when we were talking about it at robertson's introductory press conference he was fielding some other questions that had nothing to do with robertson he mentioned that when he was at the golf tournament with a bunch of the other coaches out in Georgia that day, because he flew back for the press conference and introduced Robertson, that a lot of them had talked about how different it felt this time around because of that second transfer portal window, which was from April 15th until the end of the month. So that is different for a lot of these coaches this month of May in Beamer. He's talked about it both on and off record, just how it's, it's one of those things at this time of the year as a head coach, it's not that you don't have anything going on, but you're at the building a lot. You can't be out recruiting like some of these assistant coaches have, and they have the ability to do so because of the NCAA rules. However, however, because of the transfer portal, and we saw it from this past weekend, which we'll get into, having the ability to be on campus, and when you have players who are testing the waters through that portal, you have the ability to take advantage of being around campus a little bit more. It's not as chaotic, right? I mean, I'm sure some coaches would like to say, yeah, we'd like to be able to show a player when they come up here what's kind of going on, right? But it's, it's good in the sense that it's not too crazy where you can prioritize your time with player X, Y, Z, whoever the case may be. So in this case, over the weekend, South Carolina, I had a couple players up here. We will get into that. Um, But the big news today, at least, is that South Carolina has signed a left tackle, a commitment. Jackson Hughes has committed to South Carolina. He was a two-year starter at Charlotte. And for the 49ers, I mean, look, I I understand the jump from playing at Charlotte to going up to South Carolina. And yes, we know the 49ers played uh, USC this past season. But because you are expecting Jalen Nichols to be out a good portion of the season. If not the majority of it, having some more experience on the offensive line, especially at left tackle, you have to be loving this move. You have to be loving this move. So again, Jackson Hughes, I'll pull up his bio real quick for those of you that aren't aware of who he is, but I think this is a nice pickup. I think it's a nice pickup for South Carolina. Um, mainly, like I said, that experience, that experience, the depth that you're adding for USC. But I think the other thing, too, that's interesting about it is he has experience of being a starter, right? Two years, too, at that. Um, I think when we talked about with with what South Carolina could be possibly looking at, and I know running back's one of them, which we'll get get into digs in a little bit, but I think when you look at what South Carolina could do in terms of making this team, helping the team from a growing, growing pain standpoint, which it's going to be impossible to really tell right now, right? But you can just feel at certain areas, all right, you know what are they going to have to do from an offensive line standpoint? We've talked about this at nauseum. At nauseum, you're losing more than 60% of your starting snaps on the offensive line from last season yes you have players that are coming back that have experience of playing on the offensive line but what's one thing that you can do because look as talented as some of these freshmen are that are coming in this year never mind the class of 2024 who obviously won't be able to help you this upcoming season that's great South Carolina has done a tremendous job with recruiting in the trenches I mean we've said that over and over and over but with that all being said with that being said that's not going to necessarily help you right away at the beginning of the season. And that's not to say that a Marquis Anderson or, you know, uh, a a guy like Tree, right? Luitos and Lade. That's not to say that these guys can't come in here and make an impact. But if you're banking on two freshmen starting right away, is that a recipe for success, especially on the offensive line? I don't think it is, and I don't think – and that's not a negative thing towards them. That's not a negative thing towards the program. If anything, it shows that USC has took steps forward since Shane Beamer has arrived, that they've been able to gain some quality guys who have some experience, right, who have some experience where it's not just going to be, okay, freshman's going to come in here right away and he's going to see a lot of playing time. We see that happen more so – When you have a coach come in right away in that first season, in that second season. And of course, there's always going to be outliers, right? I mean, we're sitting here today, what, May 10th? I mean, we fast forward, we get to September. There's a possibility that you have a guy like Nicholas Harbor who could crack the starting lineup. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to be the case, but you always have outliers like that. So I don't want you guys to think, okay, you know, Mike's saying that there's no freshman that's going to, no, no, not saying that. But because of what South Carolina has been able to do from a recruiting standpoint over the last couple of years, you have more talent in certain spots. Now, one of the biggest issues South Carolina has at a lot of positions is depth. And we already knew that going into this season. That's why when you look ahead to the class of 2024 and you start to just peek down a little bit further 2025, you can see how. South Carolina is probably more so two years away than anything else from really taking that big step. That's not to say this season can't be successful. It's going to be important, not not just from a win-loss standpoint of, okay, what can South Carolina do in the field to be able to get to this bowl game or that? No, no, no. It's about being able to show consistency. We've talked about that before when we're talking about selling the program and being able to show recruits, hey, look, everything that we're telling you from a recruiting standpoint, going back to you know some of these guys, their sophomore year in high school, there's consistency with it. There's consistency in year one of what Chain did to year two and continuing to show that progress. So that's what I would say about that. Um, I'm going to find nickels here, but as I do that, What I want to pull up is and continuing to talk about the transfer portal. Again, last night, Shane Beamer, Welcome Home Tour, continued in Aiken last night, had a chance to head on out there. A lot of interesting things that he said. But uh, one thing that I really wanted to hit on tonight, because, again, it's so new to a lot of these coaches, is being able to adjust to that second transfer portal window, which closed at the end of April, and how that's changing things in the way – that coaches go about taking advantage of the portal and how this time of the year is just a little bit different in comparison to, say, last year or even you know a couple of years ago when the portal wasn't really a thing. I mean, guys had always been transferring, but it wasn't anything like we're seeing right now uh, with over 2,000 players currently still in the portal. Um, or I believe 2,000 players went into the portal and there's about 1,000-plus that are still in it. But this is what Shane Beamer had to say last night during his welcome home tour pull this up
3: it's been good um i like the fact that the window in 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 the springtime is smaller it's not as long um you know december and january those are two tough months because the transfer portal window is so big and you're balancing recruiting with high school kids or high school young men getting ready for a bowl game all kinds of stuff players making nfl decisions there's a lot happening in december and january uh, this time of year is a little bit better just because it's less going on and the window smaller, which I like as well. So still learning about it. I've learned that I like the smaller window. I know that's for sure. Um, and then you you know with the window in the spring, I really didn't think about it, but you, going through spring practice now, you realize that you know more about your team uh, coming out of spring practice. So you maybe have a little bit more targeted needs because you've been through spring practice and you know kind of where you uh where you may not be where you need to be from a from a depth standpoint. Sure, yeah, it's just going on a little bit more outside of football right now with the gambling stuff that's going on. I mean is that something easy. you guys have had anything to do from the SEC in with about of late or I guess just generally speaking is that something that comes up at least in preseason discussion things? Yeah, we haven't um we haven't had any discussions from a SEC standpoint I and mean, it's something that we always from a university standpoint try and be aware of. Uh, trying to stay on top of, uh, trying to educate our guys throughout the the school year. Whether it be reminding coaches that we can't bet on the NCAA tournament when March Madness comes around, um, that's a pretty standard email that you get, and and then just making your players aware of stuff. But anytime you see kind of what's going on across college athletics a little bit, it's a good reminder. You know what? That maybe we need to revisit this again uh, with uh, with our guys.
2: When you look at, I mean, there's so many schools across the country, guys will enter the portal, whatever. I mean, you'll have teams that will have 20 plus guys. For you guys to be in the situation that you are, do you kind of look at it as, hey, you know, we're doing a good job with being able to keep guys around here? Obviously, guys will leave for different reasons.
3: Yeah. No, I do. I. um... Most people have no clue that in 2023, the best way to make money on Amazon is not. Of course, you have an ad that
2: pops up. It's Amazon's other company, Audible.
3: It's, um, you, you hate to see anybody leave, but you realize that it's just, it's inevitable. I mean, we're going to have guys, as long as I'm the head coach here, that are probably going to enter the portal after the season in December, and then after the spring practice for whatever reason. And um, you just kind of understand that. Um, you don't like it. Uh, I want everybody to have a great experience at Carolina and, and want to be here. And the thing that we try and do, Mike, is just, in recruiting, be honest with them. They understand what they're getting into when they come to our program. Uh, they understand that it's going to be a lot of joy and we're going to have a lot of fun, but it's going to be really, really hard. It's not easy being a player in our program. Um, and then if a guy leaves for whatever reason, whatever it may be, and every situation is different, you, uh, you wish them well. Uh, we've got some guys that left our – program after spring practice that I talked to yesterday just trying to help them find somewhere we had some guys that left after the season that you know for different reasons and wish them well don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about the ones that aren't in the program we got I got 120 players on the team we have 120 players on the team and there's if we lose three or four like we did after last season or whatever it was that means I got 116 other guys that Feel pretty dang good about what we're doing as a football program, and, and I tend to focus on that. So yes, I uh, I see what's going on with some of our competitors and how many people they have in the portal. So you understand it's a it's a reality. You're just going to have some, um, and uh, pleased with where we are. I'll say that.
2: What's your philosophy on a player if he enters the portal, tests the the waters, if you will, and then he turns around and says, hey, you know, can I come back? Yeah, haven't
3: crossed that bridge yet. Haven't. Done
2: I'm going to pause it right there because that was an interesting response that Shane had, and we'll get to that in a minute. But to go back to what we were talking about before, which is, again, navigating this new world of the transfer portal, I mean, these rules, it feels like they're going to continue to change uh, because we're learning more uh, about how it's impacting, especially with NIL and how it's impacting the portal. I mean, you have to be naive. Not to believe that that's having an impact out there, and recruiting has truly become a three hundred sixty-five day ordeal. Um, not saying that it wasn't a full year commitment before, but you talk to some of these coaches, they say now it's it's impossible. It's impossible to really feel like you can, you know, take a day off or two without feeling like shoot, there's another school that's coming in and could be potentially coming up underneath you to take a guy um going back to what aaron asked is he a preferred preferred walk walk on yes jackson hughes is a preferred walk on so when we're talking about the scholarships and everything that that comes with that from a scholarship count standpoint um it won't impact south carolina there but um again being able to pick him up experience adds depth we don't know what South Carolina plans to do at this time, of course, when it comes to Jalen Nichols' situation, but you would expect Nichols to be out for a good portion of the season after what Shane Beamer said last Tuesday. Having Hughes is only going to help you. And obviously, we've said this before, but a guy like, you know, Nick Gargiulo, Gargiulo is from a baseball comparison, he's a utility player. You can plug him anywhere on the line. We've talked about it before that when he came into South Carolina, a lot of people expected that he was going to be the center. But based on the needs of what South Carolina needs on the offensive line, having him at guard just made more sense. Well, it doesn't mean that he can't move out to left tackle if they feel like it's going to help them, especially as they try to fill the void of Jalen Nichols for however long that is um we heard beamer say that it could be late in the season well what's late right and i think unfortunately these are things that beamer Nichols, they don't have any idea because they have to wait and see because we've talked about this before with athletes every athlete heals differently some athletes are able to come back i mean shoot just look back to about a what a decade ago gamecock baseball fans know exactly what i'm talking about jackie bradley jr i mean ray tanner came out At the time. And he thought JBJ's career was going to be done at South Carolina. And then what happens? He's able to come back and he makes a big impact. And the Gamecocks go on to win the College World Series that year. So obviously a little bit different injury. Lower body injury for Nichols. Um, We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But again, South Carolina. Landing a left tackle today. Jackson Hughes preferred walk-on commitment. Played at Charlotte and started for the 49ers. The last two years. Big Red ask. Any more welcome home announcements recently? Not right now, Big Red. Not right now. I remember. I mean, shoot. This time of the year, everything kind of just. I mean, you'll remember the week after the spring game. Remember, and I put something out saying, hey, just pay attention. I mean, there's going to be fireworks. A lot of those fireworks ended up speeding up. Some of those players weren't expecting to announce when they did. And I know that might sound a little funny, but like, what do you mean these players weren't expecting? Well, some of them just saw that there was just so much momentum going on in a span of, what, 36 hours, 24 hours, that they said, hey, I want to hop in on the action. And some of those guys were just say, like, because they were going to wait a little bit longer. They were going to wait a couple of days, even into potentially the following week. But because of the momentum, they saw, they said, shoot, I want to hop on this train right now. So there was obviously a lot that was taking place the week after the spring game. And I'll bring that up. But real quick, want to make sure. This is what I show you guys with Jackson Hughes. see that he was part of the class of 2019 came in actually as an edge. (laughs) Got recruited as an edge. So with some of these smaller schools, not going to be a shocker that the amount of information on some of them, it's not going to be exactly the same compared to if a power five player is committing or transferring from one school to another. So, Not a lot that you'll be able to find on our website, unfortunately, on Jackson Hughes. But again, two-year starter for the 49ers and someone that South Carolina will be bringing in as a preferred walk-on. Now, talking about the success that South Carolina has had in recruiting recently, as you see, the class of 2024 commits. Calvin Hunter, he was one of them, one of those guys that committed the week after the spring game. You see that, 419. Braden Lee, another one, 419. Mike Williams, another Maryland guy, 419. So it came in with a major wave, major wave for the Gamecocks, and that, of course, was on the heels of Josiah Thompson committing to South Carolina just days prior. So, again, as far as where South Carolina stands with Welcome Homes, I would expect as we get out of the month of May into the month of June, and especially as we get to the end of June, things to really start to pick up for South Carolina again. Because even some of those players that you can see on this list here that have committed, right? The Josiahs, the Cam Pringles, the Michael Smiths, Wendell Gregory. Maisie o Bennett. we can keep going down the list here. Dante Reno, Blake Franks. A lot of these guys will be coming up for those camps towards the middle and the end of June. I mean, they'll be taking place throughout the whole month, but, I mean, that portion of it, a lot of those guys who have verbally committed to South Carolina already, they'll be visiting South Carolina around that time. So I say all that because you'll have other players there, other prospects Some guys who have had South Carolina as their top school or one of their top schools for maybe over a year now. And that's when they start meeting with the coaches. Things start to really start to pick up. And that's what, like we saw last year, we saw an absolute avalanche, an avalanche in the summer at the end of June, around that mid to June, mid-June, end of June going into July. I think that's going to be the exact same scenario that plays out this year i mean look obviously where usc is at right now right you look at the number of players they have 10 players that have already committed and it is only may 10th right we go back to last season around this time and if you guys remember if you guys remember as you look back to last year's commitments on the side if you want to head on over to on three and have a better look at it yourself you can see on the far right That's when they publicly announced their commitment to South Carolina. And I know that for a while it was like, hey, when is South Carolina going to get a commit? When are they going to get a commit? And as you see here, as you see here, and it even includes the transfers as well. But as far as high school players go, it was about, I mean, think about that. May 8th. Zabari Sandy committed to South Carolina on May 8th of last year, May 8th. So I say that because at that point, at that point, South Carolina had no other commitments for the class of 2023 at that point, And they still ended up finishing 16 according to on threes recruiting rankings for this past um, signing class. So, USC sitting at number 6 right now. Number 6. All right. They're at number 6 right now as we take a look at the team rankings for t- class of 2024. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Florida, Michigan, and then you see South Carolina. And I know one thing that people will say, it's like, well, shoot. You're number 6 in the country so far and yet you're third in your own division. Welcome to the SEC. But I say all that because there's still so much more to go, so much. It's a hell of a start for USC. There's no question about that. I'm not trying to take anything away from what USC has been able to accomplish so far with recruiting. But I'm just trying to remind people that you look back to what took place a year ago, nearly we were two days off. Two days off is when South Carolina picked up their first commitment and you saw how things played out for USC you saw how things played out for usc in a positive way usc is so ahead of where they were last year so ahead what could this ultimately mean for this recruiting class top 10 top 7 top 5 maybe still way too early to know for sure but again just to give you an idea of where USC was a year ago in comparison to where they are right now. So Big Red, point being is uh, it's it's a little different. It's a little different than where they were last season. And I know because we've seen just so many welcome home commitments over the last couple couple weeks that it's hard not to look at some of this it's hard not to look at some of this and say, man, that uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. John's ask. Beamer has done his homework. Yeah, he has done his homework. And that's something else, John. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. So I wrote a story today on Gamecock Central. And it talked about Beamer's success with having – a plan to go into the DMV right on his, I mean, shoot, his introductory press conference. Go back to December of 2020. Go back to December of 2020. Shoot, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. So when Shane Beamer was introdu- introduced as head coach at South Carolina, he talked about this plan that he had of being able to go into the DMV. And being able to have success with recruiting. And last night, Beamer talked about that. Now, of course, when you're filming on a phone, make sure you have enough data, enough space. uh, Because we filmed for about 10 minutes. And then it was the last minute or two that, um, that the phone just decided it had too much on it. So I say all that because I still recorded the audio. And Beamer was talking about how he has had this plan to go into the DMV and knowing how successful you can be when it comes to recruiting in that area. And I'm trying to pull up the soundbite from Beamer from that press conference in December of 2020 because I think it's just, it's important to be able to hear it because when you really start to When you really start to listen to some of it, I wish I had the exact point. Well, we'll just move along with that. And I'll show you the audio from the, from from what he said last night. But the point being is, the reason why I wanted to play that is Shane said all the way back in December of 2020 that he wanted to go into the DMV, have success when it comes to recruiting in that area in particular. Uh, again, I wrote this up today on Gamecock Central. So I can actually read you the exact quote he says. He said, quote, I'm from Virginia. Obviously, we've had a great amount of success with players from Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Maryland. Again, this is Beamer during his introductory press conference at South Carolina in 2020. That's an area that I want to continue to tap into. Well, since then, since then, Beamer has done just that. And this was Beamer talking about it last night during his Welcome Home Tour in Aiken.
3: I was here as an assistant coach that it made a lot of sense for South Carolina to get into Virginia, Maryland, D.C. And I was hesitant to, but my dad was coaching at Virginia Tech. And, and uh, I didn't, well, we had enough players down here. I didn't want to take too many away from Hill uh, and battle Hill. But in all seriousness, I always thought that would be a great area. And then the more that I was away from South Carolina – and was recruiting that area at different schools, whether it be Virginia Tech, Georgia, or Oklahoma, the more it made sense to me. Like You saw how many guys up there wanted to get a great education, wanted to come south, wanted to play in the SEC, and I'm like, man, it just makes so much sense to come to South Carolina because of where we're located compared to other SEC, school, SEC schools. And and I would see guys from that area that would go to other SEC schools and think to myself, well, why not South Carolina with our proximity to this area? So, yeah, it was definitely uh, – um, something that i was very adamant about once i got the head coaching job here that we needed to attack that area hard um and we have and we'll continue to um it's really cool kind of what we've gotten got going and need to continue doing that as well and then in regards to uh, caleb just what
2: so i'm gonna cut it off there beamer asked a question by ben portnoy the state newspaper with the success of Attacking the DMV and then it was a another question about Caleb Williams recruiting and recruitment and everything just the similarities but kind of a different topic so again you hear all that and the reason I played that first and I see your questions on the side about the Notre Dame running back we will get into Logan Diggs shortly in uh, gear as well from Syracuse the edge but I thought this was interesting. So, again, this is from my story today, and I just want to read this, okay? Since Shane Beamer took over, the Gamecocks have now seen a surge in success with recruiting in the DMV. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven four, five, six, seven. Seven. Seven players, and that includes two players from the class of 2024 who are verbal commitments, but seven players have committed to South Carolina since Shane Beamer took over in December of 2020. So that's the class of 21, 22, 23, and 24. Before Beamer arrived from 2016 to 2020, and this isn't necessarily to throw shade at Will Muschamp, but again, just to give you an idea from a time frame standpoint, one that may have been just an extra year, but South Carolina had only landed four commitments from the DMV. OK, now it's one thing to target a certain area, right? Because I think sometimes when we talk about the OK, hey, we got to make sure we keep a fence up, keep talent in South Carolina. Well, the talent for a while in, in, in the state of South Carolina, it wasn't the exact same as about 10 years ago when Shane Beamer was originally at USC. But that's not to say when there is talent, being able to keep him here. You know what I'm trying to get at? So it's one thing to say, all right, hey, you know, we got the top player from South Carolina. Well, the top player that that, that year might just be a three-star. All right? So I bring that up, and I'm just bringing up South Carolina, for example, because, again, we've certainly seen a lot of talented players, especially with uh, this upcoming draft, this upcoming, as I keep saying draft, keep thinking draft mode here uh, after the draft coverage. But the – Signing class of USC and how many talented players are coming out from this state. But when you talk about Maryland, it's not just going up there, not just Maryland, but the DMV area. It's not just going up there and grabbing, okay, hey, we got a player from the DMV. No, no, no. Four star cornerback, Braden Lee, who just committed to South Carolina a couple of weeks ago. Three star offensive lineman, Mike Williams, another player from Maryland. And even though, yeah, okay, three star, no, no, no. This is a kid that was getting recruited by Alabama, the big schools. And you won a big boy recruiting battle. Five-star athlete, Nicholas Harbour, for the class of 2023. Four-star edge, Desmond Umeo-Zulu from Maryland. Four-star offensive lineman, Aluotos Mbavolade, also from Maryland. Three-star defensive back, Zabari Sandy. Maryland, who, as we just said, committed to South Carolina back last year on May 8th. May 8th of 2022. Zabari Sandy. That's a name I want people to remember. Zabari doesn't even have to make a freaking tackle at USC during his career. I'm not saying that's going to be the case. But his commitment to USC last May opened up Pandora's box, in a sense, of what USC has been able to do from a recruiting standpoint. That's not to say Alua and Babalade or Desmond Umio Zulu or Nicholas Harbor. I know again, Harbor DC, but still that same area, Mike Williams, Braden. That's not to say these guys wouldn't commit here, but it only helps. And we saw the photos of when those guys committed, how there was just a Maryland group together. It helps. It only helps. But another player too, and this was the first from the DMV from Beamer, since being named head coach of South Carolina, three-star offensive tackle DeAndre Martin from Virginia. So again, seven players from the DMV since Shane Beamer arrived at USC as head coach. And from 2016 to 2020, South Carolina had only landed four commitments from the DMV. I think that's interesting. I really do. I think it's hard not to look at that and say, hmm, because, again, it's not just going into the DMV and getting Joe Schmo. You're getting talented players. You're getting frigging four stars, five stars. This is the reason why South Carolina finished 16th last year in recruiting. We mentioned some of those names. I mean, Desmond Umio Zulu, Alua Tosin Bubalade, of course, Nicholas Harbour. And then you start to look at this year with what USC has been able to do for the cost of 2024, which again, it's not just limited to the DMV, but there's something to be said about it. There's something to be said. And as you heard from Beamer, there talking about it, how they don't have success in that area. It makes no sense. That's an excuse. If you don't have success in that area. And he had this plan since the day he was hired. And he's been able to do that. So again, interesting stuff from Beamer last night. Um, I do want to play something from him a little bit later because I asked him about his thoughts on players who enter the portal, want to kind of just test the waters, if you will, right? Call it free agency, whatever you want to call it. And his philosophy on whether or not he would welcome a player home back to the program. That has not been the case for USC. I know there were rumbles with Jordan Birch, and I'm trying to go back here. Big bread. What about Lloyd? I never heard anything about Lloyd. I heard about Birch. But again, as we saw how things played out with the transfer portal, you had to be in the portal by a certain date, and that was not the case for fall sports at, fall, fall sport athletes. And that was not the case for Birch. That was not the case for Lloyd. That was not the case for any of these former Gamecocks who have entered the portal in the past. So you can kind of forget about that, push it to the back burner, but, um, you know, just to throw out this portal number, and this was as of May 6th, I haven't looked at it today. Um, but there were 1,348 players who were, who remained in the transfer portal. Now that number is probably less as of today. I mean, Colorado signing guys left and right, but that was part of the plan for coach Deion Sanders out in Colorado and other players of course have signed as well to teams, but, as I read here, I just want some people to, to know certain information. The only date that does impact South Carolina for SEC fall sport athletes who enter the transfer portal after February 4- 1st. If a player wants to transfer to another SEC school after that date, they'd be required to sit out a year unless granted a waiver. So that's not to say because because some people may be like, well, why isn't South Carolina going after another SEC player? That's part of it. That's part of it. Um. And then the other rule, uh, a new rule from the NCAA requires post-grad students to enter the transfer by May 1st. So, again, there's certain rules that the NCAA is continuing to move around. um, And some of it is worth just paying attention to because it it, kind of restricts who South Carolina is able to go after. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have a – Big pick out there if there's a lot of players, talented players out there. But the SEC, in comparison to some of these other conferences, there's other rules that these other conferences don't have that the SEC has to follow. And that's being one of them, like I said, from trying to transfer from one school to another, you have to go a little bit earlier in the portal. Moving down here, I, I do want to get to As we see, I saw the Dylan Stork comment. We'll get to, yeah, let's go. Let's get to, uh, let's get to digs. Let's get to digs. And yes, Talking Tuesday continues to roll through. We're on a Wednesday night. And the only reason we're doing Wednesday this week is because I was out in Aiken last night for the Welcome Home Tour. And it was, it was great. I mean, it was my first time out in Aiken for a Welcome Home Tour. It was at the state fairground and great turnout, great turnout, as, as is the case with a lot of these welcome home tours. Uh, it was it was good. It was good to be able to listen to um, to so many fans and just talk with them uh, about the upcoming season. Something that I always enjoy. But getting back to what Craig mentioned about Diggs. Yes, Diggs was on campus this past weekend, South Carolina took a official visit and you also had and I hope I'm saying this right Chaiteus Gear Gear was an edge at Syracuse but with Diggs the interesting thing about Diggs is this okay when you look at where he stands right now and you're trying to get an idea of okay where does South Carolina stand with with Diggs The thing that South Carolina has going for them is the fact that when you look at the depth and experience in South Carolina's running back room, there's no question. There's no question that Diggs would quickly be the most experienced back that USC has. And I've mentioned this before that when you look at what South Carolina had last season, and the guys that are back in that running back room, and we know, of course, that the carry-on joiners moving on over to running back, Mario Williams, Anderson, excuse me, Mario Anderson is transferred in from Newberry, that there's not a lot of experience in that running back room outside of Juju McDowell. Well, to give you an idea of the experience that Diggs has in comparison to Juju, who I think is electrifying anytime he has the ball in his hands, but... Juju has a certain skill set, and Diggs has a different skill set as well. Diggs rushed for 822 yards last year, four touchdowns for Notre Dame. He was splitting the workload for the Fighting Irish in that backfield. He still led the team, though, in carries with 165. I say that because when you're talking about workload, And I know some people get caught up about, okay, you know, who's running back run one, you know, who's the starting running back. Based on what we've seen, Juju has not had that opportunity to because of the guys that were in front of him, but to give you an idea, right? Diggs Notre Dame the last two years. So he would have not just one more year, for two years at south carolina if he transfers on in 165 carries last year okay if you get all the carries add them all up for juju in his first two seasons at south carolina and then you even throw the extra 33 receptions that mcdowell has the past two seasons that's 147 touches out of the backfield for him. 147 touches That's nearly 20 less than what Diggs had on the ground last year for Notre Dame. So I bring that up just because, yes, you're going to – if Diggs – put Diggs to the side. Juju's not going to be the guy that is able to have that many touches. He's not going to be able to have that type of workload. And I understand, like I said, because of certain guys that were in front of him, it took away from him. But I just don't see him being a guy that's going to get a big workload, even if Diggs isn't here. You bring Diggs in, though, shoot. I mean, to carry on joiner potentially could be your starting running back. That's how strong his spring was. And you talk to people that are close with that program that saw him every day in practice. That's how impressive he was. And he showed spurts of it during the spring game. In a spring game where the offense was vanilla, You weren't really going to be able to walk away and be like, wow, you know. But he did some good things. He did some good things. He broke some tackles. He looked strong between the tackles. That on top of the fact that your offensive line, it was a mixed bag. You had starters playing alongside backups because of the draft format that South Carolina had for their spring game. So, again, being able to pick up a guy like Diggs, would be massive. But where they stand right now, it's a three-team race, really. It's a three-team race between USC, Ole Miss, and LSU. What South Carolina has to offer with Diggs is the fact that he can come in here and potentially be a, a starter by week one because of the lack of experience in that running back room. He's a Louisiana boy, though. That's, he's a, he's, that's his home. And on top of that, Brian Kelly, who, oh, by the way, recruited him when Kelly was at Notre Dame, he's at LSU now. So you would think that LSU has the leg up. However, USC this past weekend, he was very impressed from everything that we were told about his visit. And Notre Dame, uh, excuse me, the Notre Dame back Heading potentially to South Carolina, certainly it's in the mix. Don't rule out South Carolina quite yet, is what we've been told. So, again, with Diggs, I think there's a lot of upside. It becomes the USC. Uh, but at the same time, too, we're going to have to wait and see how it plays out with LSU. old Miss, again, they're in the mix. I'm not going to rule out Lane Kiffin. I'm just not. But if you're asking me, I, I'd put the odds. I'd put LSU, South Carolina, Old Miss. But when I say, okay, LSU just ahead of Notre Dame, uh, in front of South Carolina, I'm not saying that gap is massive. And, and the other thing, too, is Diggs is going to be taking an official visit at LSU this weekend. There's no timeline set. Uh, when he plans to make his commitment, but again, I would uh, I would say that USC is certainly in the mix with Diggs. Uh, as far as uh, gear goes, the Edge from Syracuse, another guy that took a visit this past weekend. He was very impressed with the program and kind of like we've talked about with Diggs, he sees it as an opportunity to come in here and have an opportunity to be a starter week one, just because of the depth at edge number one, but number two, even the guys that are back that have experience Jordan strong. I mean, he's come back from an injury Jarrell Dawkins guys come back from an injury. And we've talked about this before, those are two guys, when healthy, when healthy, they could be game changers. And I'll say that more so about Jordan Strawn than Terrell Dawkins because I haven't seen it from Dawkins as much. Just because, unfortunately, before his career at USC was really able to get started, it kind of went sideways because of an injury. With Jordan Strawn, we had at least an opportunity to see him in practice a little bit. In the progress, in knowing what he had done before he had transferred in to South Carolina, coming in from Georgia State. So, with Strawn and Dawkins there, yes, you have guys that have played the position that have experience, but if you're a guy like gear, why not? Why not come in here? So, I would certainly say that South Carolina is in a very good position. To land him. I think that is. Uh, there's no question about that. Moving on down though. Looking at some of these comments here. Before we take a quick time out. Pay the bills. And then we'll hear more from Shane Beamer. I want to go back to that. Soundbite. Last night from him. Where he shared his philosophy on. If a player entered the portal. Would he welcome them back. Now. Brandon Davis had recently entered the portal. I don't think anyone is expecting, especially with how crowded South Carolina's quarterback room will get a year from now, never mind where it is right now, but a year from now, when you throw in Dante Reno, the four star out of Connecticut, you have a talented room right now. I can't see Davis coming back, but I say that because with any player that had entered the the transfer portal have less South Carolina. Could there be the possibility that Beamer would welcome them back? We'll hear from Shane in just a little bit. Big red. We turned three stars into five stars at South Carolina. I'll say this, especially when it comes to the defensive backs and you can look at other positions too, wide receiver with what Justin step has been able to do. And again, that's not to take anything away from, the other positional coaches or other positions that have had players that have shown growth. And I think special teams should certainly be in there as well. Think of a guy like Nick Muse. Think of a guy like Jalen Brooks. Those are two players that don't get drafted. If they don't make the type of the type of impact they did on special teams. And Brooks would be the first one to tell you that he's a four unit special teams player. That's the reason why he got drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. And that will be what will, give him that opportunity to make the roster. And then from there, it's, hey, now you have a shot. Work your way up and see what you can do to be able to crack a, a, a role on the offense as a wide receiver. And with Nick Muse, I mean, Muse, shoot, he's a guy that came back for another year because he wanted to play special teams more. And that proved to be a tremendous decision for him because he ended up getting drafted in the sixth round by the Minnesota Vikings, and this past year, I think there was about ten games. He got called up from the practice squad, and he was on the active roster, and not just the active roster, but he also made an impact on special teams, like getting into the game. He didn't play on offense, but he played on special teams in every game that he was called up in. But um, again, I want to take a quick time out by getting to our ad reads. As always, today's show is brought to you by Liberty Tax. Liberty Tax, I know tax season right now, it's it's over. I mean, some people have an extension, right? And I was one of those people. But if you are looking ahead to next season, right, tax season, it's never too early to look ahead. Get all your information, start writing it down, start making spreadsheets to make it that much easier. Come tax season next year. The folks over at Liberty Tax will be able to help you overcome that taxality. But help yourself out a little bit now. Like I said, start putting a list together. Start noting, starting some things down, making some notes to make it easier next tax season. Give them a call at 803-462-5576. Once again, that is our friends over at Liberty Tax. And today's show is also brought to you by good friend Clint Hammond. Trying to find Clint's ad right here. Looks like they move some things around on me. Get Clint over here. The Mortgage Network. Where is it, Clint? Can't find Clint's... ad today. Sorry about that, Clint. But Clint does a tremendous job over at the Mortgage Network. And if you need someone to help you out with being able to buy a home, make that process a heck of a lot easier for you, give him a call and he can help you out. Again, that is Clint Hammond over at the Mortgage Network. And um, you can see it at the top. Give Clint a call over at 803-771-6933. they moved some things around on me, buddy. So I don't have the ad read that we typically have each show. So sorry about that. Um, Continuing, though, continuing today's show as we wrap things up. As we wrap things up, I want to play the rest of that soundbite from Shane Beamer. Because I thought it was fascinating when you start looking ahead to Just what could be. I mean, there's a possibility that USC gets into a position where they're going to be faced with, I don't know if dilemma might be a little too strong of a word, but there might be a player that wants to come back. And I don't think that is too far-fetched to believe. Uh, We've seen that at other schools already. And from talking to different coaches, not just at South Carolina, but... Uh, other FBS coaches and FCS coaches as well it's all coach to coach coach to coach and it's amazing even some of those coaches who have spoke with about this how some of them have took a complete 180 change in their just their thought process on it just because they feel like where things are going with college football in particular but this could be this could be for college athletics as a whole that if you feel like a player can help your team right now in that season then you do that and obviously you you want to make sure that it doesn't impact the rest of the team in a negative manner right like a player leaves he comes back i mean i don't want to throw out scenarios here but i mean shoot a player enters the portal, and then like a week later, he decides to come back. Okay. If a player goes to a different school for the spring, but then he wants to come back to South Carolina. I mean, depending on the status of that player, and that's what Beamer got into last night when he was explaining his thought process on it. You take a listen to what Shane had to say about that.
3: That situation um i think every situation is different i think a lot of that is based on um what was a particular person's status on the team before they went in the portal um why did they go in the portal were they getting pressure from the outside from different people to go in the portal um why do they want to come back what do what do their teammate former teammates say about them as well so i think every situation is uh is uh, is different, you know, and, and uh, I don't want to back myself into a corner on any situation. Like I tell our players and coaches, all every decision I make as the football coach in South Carolina will always be what I feel like is best for the South Carolina football program, and that's uh, short term, long term, that isn't just necessarily winning games. That's what's best for us as a program. Sure, Mo Mo Coblin, going strong, are still working back from their yeah. things from last But any kind of update you can share on where those guys are at? With, with I think they're right where they need to be. Uh, obviously, they really didn't do anything in spring practice, but they got the month of May. They're working hard in rehab, and and we expect them to be, you know, full go uh, once we uh once we get rolling this summer, and and uh, 100% full go by the time practice comes around in August. And both those guys have had, you know, similar injuries and mm. same injuries in the past. How, how challenging is it for guys just in general when, when they're coming off of the second one like that and trying to get back? It's tough, but I also think nowadays with the way that medicine is and rehabs and surgeries that you can sometimes get stronger and stronger after each one. You never want to wish a second ACL or a first ACL on anybody, but um, it's not what it was 10, 15 years ago. Guys come back from it quicker, and in a lot of ways they come back stronger. And To me, it's a mental hurdle that you have to overcome um, from an injury standpoint, but – those guys are tough minded kids and,
2: and And that's where the phone died last night, or I didn't say the phone died. but the phone got full of storage. Um, look, again, and, and Beamer is a hundred percent right. It's it's one of those things where it's tough to answer right now, but this is something that coaches are starting to face because we talk about the new norm of college athletics, which is continuing to change and evolve each year. But one thing that isn't going anywhere is NIL, at least not in the short term. The transfer portal is not going anywhere, at least in the short term. So how do you adjust to those two things in particular when creating a roster, creating a program, not just for the future, but for the now? Because as Shane Beamer even even said during his introductory press conference back in 2020, they wouldn't give his dad, Frank, the amount of time they gave him back then in today's era of football. And the reason he said that is because when you have all these other things, especially the portal, people expect you to win now. And what does winning necessarily mean? might not necessarily mean a national championship or a conference championship, but it's being competitive, right? I mean, it's all in the eyes of the beholder. You could have a situation from one school compared to another where eight wins, it might not cut it, but to some, that would. Or is it at least being bowl eligible every year? Or at least getting to seven wins? Just continuing to show progress? But I feel like that scenario that I just explained there, and you heard from Beamer talk about, I feel like it's coming sooner rather than later. And I'm not saying necessarily this year, this summer, anything like that. I'm talking about in the near future. Could be the next year. Could be the next year or two. It's going to happen at some point for South Carolina, and that's going to be a decision that Beamer is going to have to address because the unfortunate reality is, especially when we talk about NIL, there's a lot of people that are getting into some of these players' ears, and I'm all for name, image, and likeness. I'm all for the Garnet Trust. I'm all for players being able to make money. It's about time they do. But just like anything in life, when there's something good, there's some bad that comes with it. And one of the unfortunate realities is that you have people in the ears of a lot of these student athletes telling them what they feel like is in the best interest for them, meaning the student athlete, when in reality, they're telling them that because it's in the best interest of themselves and they view that athlete as a dollar sign or they might truly feel like they are giving them the best advice, but it's short-term versus long-term, and sometimes being able to make a dollar today isn't worth it when you could wait a week and make $100 by doing it that way, if you guys understand what I'm trying to get at. Um, Carolina Pride! He said, watch some film on Diggs. The dude is very, very fine. Very, is very, very fines, I feel. I think what you're trying to get at is he's a good running back. As I'm reading exactly what you wrote, Carolina Pride. Very good tailback, yep. And, and that's something that I talked about the other day. And I know that some people weren't necessarily happy with it. But, I mean, shoot. Just because it's there... And because, as, you know, things are taking place, it doesn't mean that, like, if something's there, it doesn't change whether or not you say anything about it at that time. Uh, I said this the other day. I feel like being able to get digs, again, you add experience. We went down the list. Number of touches, I think it was, what, 165 carries he had last season at Notre Dame compared to the 147 touches, which includes 33 receptions from Juju McDowell, That is the first two seasons at USC combined. That's his career. 147 touches in his first two years compared to the 165 carries from Logan Diggs when he was at Notre Dame this past season. He brings experience. You bring in a talented running back, no question about it. But I still have a lot, a lot of question marks about this offensive line. And knowing that Jalen Nichols will be out for an extended period of time, it only adds to that. I think they have some very talented offensive linemen on this roster. And that's not even getting into the Marquis Andersons, the Aluitos and Lades. It's talking about the guys they have. With experience on this roster, whether it be at South Carolina, whether it be as a transfer, right? Nick Arjula we talked about Jackson Hughes coming in as preferred walk on from Charlotte. I just want to know how quickly they're going to be able to come together, build a rapport. Because you don't have the luxury like you have had in past seasons. And that's no disrespect to some of those smaller schools, but. You're going up against North Carolina week one. Going up against North Carolina week one. You don't have time to feel things out and have that tune-up game. And even though Georgia State, they, they pushed USC to the brink last year. And they gave them a good game. If South Carolina is going up against a power five team week one last season, that game could have been different. I mean, shoot. I mean, I don't want to do the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, but special teams played a big, 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 big role as to why USC was able to win that game. And sometimes when you go up against those smaller schools, that's an area that they overlook compared to a school like South Carolina who invest a lot of time and energy and effort Into special teams and we saw the impact that it had not just in that game, but throughout the course of last season, which ultimately led to Pete Limbo being the highest paid special teams coordinator in the country that doesn't also hold another on field title in terms of coaching tight ends or anything like that. Like he's strictly special teams and then he's the associate head coach, but you don't have that luxury this year. You have to freaking go in to Charlotte. You got to go to Charlotte. And you got to beat the team who the last time you played them in that very same that very same stadium. You beat the crap out of them. Now, two years have gone by since that game, since the Duke's Mayo Bowl, but you would be naive to believe that they're not thinking about that. That Mac Brown is not talking about that with his team heading into Week One. So, again, and look, and they'll be going through growing page too, right? I mean, you go into a game week one, your power five school going up against a power five. They don't know exactly what USC's offense is going to look like with Dow Loggins. I mean, there's going to be some things, as we've talked about in this program before, that you really weren't able to get a feel of what USC's offense will look like this season in that spring game. But I think the the thing more than anything is you have to find a way to get this offensive line together quickly. Again, talented players up front, talented players. But these guys have not worked as a unit. And that's to no fault of their own. It's just the way how things played out. Because of the experience that they had on the line last season and the guys that, of course, they lost, right? I mean, shoot. For everything that people said about this offensive line over the last two years, and a lot of it rightfully so, and it got better last year, but you have to replace a, a couple guys that were either drafted or signed with NFL teams. Josiah Gwen being one of them. Jawan Gwen, excuse me. Javon Gwen being one of them. Eric Douglas being another one of them. And that's just two of the players that you lost. Because like we said, you lost over 50 know 60% of the starting snaps that you had from a year ago. You definitely have players come back with experience as starters on the offensive line, but you need to replace that. You need to replace that. Um, And that's the other part of it too. Twisted Rooster, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, he had over 800 yards rushing, but he was also used in the passing game as well. So now you have a running back that can do a little bit of everything. Which, of course, if you're able to do that, it's massive. And the other thing, too, about Diggs, I do want to throw this out there. He also got better from his freshman year to sophomore year when it came to pass blocking. I mean, we've talked about it with Marcus Lattimore in the past, and I've asked a lot. I said, hey how do you stick out in a running back room? If you're in a crowded running back room and you're trying to find a way, whether it be at USC, whether it be during your short short time with the San Francisco 49ers, and he said, if you can block, it's hard for them to take you off the field because then they can trust you because they feel like, hey, if he's out there and he can block, he's not going to be a liability for us. And teams that you're going up against will recognize that. Cause if you have a running back that goes out there and he's just being put on his ass every single time, anytime there's a pass rush and he can't block it, it's, it's kind of like showing your hand before the play even happens. It's like, all right, well he's going to be a guy that is not going to be a threat to stay home to block. He's either going to be out there to catch a pass or they're going to hand it off to him. It's one of those two. It's not going to be to keep him there to help out blocking because they view him as a liability. Um, So, just another tidbit about Diggs. And uh, we appreciate that, Greg. God Loves Comics says when DK said he was 220, that was a lot bigger than I ever thought he was, so I feel more confident about him being able to hold up in the SEC. I saw Dakarian, it was the Gamecock bourbon society event that the garnet trust was a part of as well as cox by 90 and it was at bourbon on main street and to carry on was one of the players that was there as a special guest and his back is massive it's massive and i say that because i've been covering dk going back to his high school days at fort dorchester i remember him Playing Dutch Fork in some of those playoff games. And he has just, his body is just, he's grown. I mean, he's really grown. Um, but yes, the, the point being is his body, and I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, he's got the body of a running back. No, but he's definitely put on some muscle. I mean, Luke Day, I mean, you cannot say enough good things about him, but DK has certainly put on a lot of pounds uh when it comes to just muscle, right? It's not just going out to friggin', you know, cook out and stuffing your face with uh hush puppies or, you know, chicken fingers. Like this kid is, you know, he's put on some good, some good weight. And being able to have that, certainly when you talk about being able to withstand the just the 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 grind when you're running the football in the SEC between the tackles, when you're going up against some of these uh teams like Georgia or Tennessee, Florida, whoever, that's one thing. But the other thing, too, is, and I'm glad, I think it was Monterio Hardesty that brought this up, that helps with that blocking element for DK. Because DK's on the punt team. And as Hardesty mentioned, he does a phenomenal job with blocking. And there's a lot of similarities with what you are doing on punt block and what he would have to be doing as a running back when he's being asked to block. Which, when you're talking about, okay, what can help him stay on the field more, that's part of it. In God Love Comics, he adds, uh, DK is ripped, but on the field, I really thought he was basically the same size as Juju. Yeah, I mean, and that that, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. And it, that, that might just be how it looks, right? Whether it be on TV, whether it be on, in the stands, just looking down. Complete opposite. Complete opposite. Now, I will give Juju this. Juju has certainly added some muscle as well. Um, he's not, again, he's not what I would expect. Okay, he's going to be getting the, the type of workload between the tackles, you know, running the ball 20-plus times between the ta- – that's just not going to happen. It's just not. But I also think that that's not necessarily Juju's skill set. I feel like where he's most dangerous – is when you put him out in space. And that's not a bad thing. That's not to say that he can't run between the tackles because you certainly want to be able to use him between the tackles because like a, like a youth basketball player that can only use his right hand. I mean, that's easy to stop eventually, all right? You know, oh, Juju's just going to go off, off tackle or it's going to be a swing pass and everything's just going to be outside of the tackle. Nothing's going to be between the tackles. That becomes easy to stop because you understand, okay, shoot, where's the wide side of the field? Where's the space? All right, they're going to go that side because they're trying to get Juju out in space. You have to be able to change it up. You have to be able to go boundary. You have to be able that short side of the field. You have to be able to run the ball between the tackles with whoever the player may be, but especially Juju, is what I would say about that. Um, but yeah, so I think again, I don't think South Carolina's running back room is as bad as some people may have it out to be or to the point where I think it's going to be detrimental detrimental to uh, the success that they have this season. I think more than anything, whether you bring in a guy like Diggs or not, the offensive line, that's the big question mark. You know, the the phrase that I used with Spencer Rattler when he arrived at South Carolina, I said that he was going to be like makeup, that he was going to be able to, cover up the blemishes of some of the issues that South Carolina had offensively from a year ago and he certainly was able to do that at times last season especially as the season progressed and he was able to become more comfortable with the players around him and just figure out exactly what they' what they were asking him to do from an offensive standpoint. This season this season when you're talking about bringing a guy like Diggs in, I have a new phrase this year. And again, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Diggs. Does he decide to go home and play for LSU? Uh, Does he decide to go to Ole Miss? Or does he come to South Carolina where he would have the luxury of being the most experienced running back in that room? I think Diggs would kind of be like uh, Worcestershire sauce. What I mean by that is you can have a steak, right? You can have a steak. You add that to the steak – Does that mean the steak is better? No, it doesn't mean anything with the steak. It just means that it's going to taste better, but you didn't do anything physically to the steak. The steak is the steak. It's like a pizza, right? You have a pizza, but you throw some toppings on it. You change the taste of it. What I'm trying to get at is with this offensive line, having a guy like Diggs can help mask some of that. What you got, especially when we're talking about the growing pains that could take place early in the season. Because, again, North Carolina week one, Georgia, I believe, is what? Is that week three? So, you know, you you have to find a way to figure out some of those growing pains quickly. I mean, North Carolina week one, Furman week two at home. Then you go to Georgia, Mississippi State at home. Then you got to go to Tennessee, and then you got Florida. Those are your first six games. Those are your first six games. Not an easy start to the season. I mean, the schedule as a whole, that's why South Carolina is one of the toughest schedules in the country. But you have to find a way to get the offensive line in sync early. And that's another challenge that will be placed on Dow Loggins knowing your strengths and weaknesses. And from the conversations I've had with people that are close to the program, one thing that he does a really good job of, really good job of, is that he's not going to try to force things. Right? He's not going to try to get a, um, a square to fit into a, a, a peg. He's not going to try to force things. And if he's able to do that, he's able to do that, and he's able to kind of say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I have certain things that I want to do, but what are what are our strengths and weaknesses? Can we do that with the talent we have? Can we do that with the offensive line we have? If they're able to get by that in the early stages of the season, that's when things could become special. And I think more so it's those, by by week four, by week four against Mississippi State, That's when you start to have an idea of, okay, what's our identity going to be as an offense? And that's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky because week one, we don't know what the hell we're going to see with this team. You know, to to quote Mike Tyson, everyone has a game plan until you get punched in the face. They'll go out there. They're going to try to do some things. Is it going to come out the way that they expect? Are they ready to do those those things? Week two, you play Furman. How much are you really going to be able to learn about yourself playing Furman? Mm. Then you got to go to Georgia two-time defending national champs at Georgia, never easy. Are you able to be competitive that game? I'm not trying to say that South Carolina can't be competitive, but they have to prove that they can do that after last season. And then you got to go to play Mississippi State. And by week four, you hopefully, again, and I say this just because of unfortunately what we saw from South Carolina against Georgia last year, you weren't really able to hang your head on much after that Georgia game. And we saw how they needed those next two games against Charlotte and SC state to get some, some confidence back more than anything. You hope the confidence is there quicker this season so that they can, um, they can find that identity. We'll wrap up in a second, but I just want to read some of these comments that you guys have sent in. We appreciate you watching again. Intern Joe, we are keeping him and his family in our prayers tonight with the loss of a relative. And uh, we'll be thinking about intern Joe. Keep him in your prayers. If you, if you will, man, I hope we can pull digs. I have a feeling that we may be able to steal him from LSU. Again, if if I'm ranking them, when I'm ranking them, this isn't from like, okay, this is what I'm hearing. that. uh, But it's hard because I don't – the LSU front, I don't have as much information about what's going on there. I can only say what's going on at USC. I can only go say what's going on at USC. Mainly because before that visit this weekend at LSU, anything that you really say like, oh, yeah, this is what he's thinking about LSU. A lot of that can change because once he gets on campus, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at him. They're going to try to do everything they can to recruit him. But the point being is there are things that you're just not going to be able to change right now. You're not going to be able to change the fact that that kid is from Louisiana. You're not going to be able to change the fact that Brian Kelly recruited him at Notre Dame and now he's the head coach of the Tigers. You're not going to change those things. But you're also not going to be able to change the fact that South Carolina, in comparison to where LSU is right now, they have the ability to offer him something that LSU can't. And that's being a guy that could come in day one and be a starter. If not, push for that starting position and have – A tremendous, a tremendous opportunity to see more touches here than he could at LSU. That's what South Carolina can sell. Will that be enough? Is that what Diggs wants? Does Diggs want to go home? Sometimes you can't control. You can't control those things. You can't. You can only do so much. But I think South Carolina is certainly in the mix. When it comes to being able to land him and not just, oh yeah, you know, South Carolina's talking. No, no, no. They're, they're in the mix. They have a good chance. They have a good chance to land him. And uh, like I said earlier, gear as well from Syracuse Casey, are we going to see the ball dumped off to the running back and tight ends from D line pressure? I mean, you hope that the offensive line can sustain the pass rush and they are able to give Rattler some time to be able to work. But I think a lot of it's going to depend on just how quickly this offense can come together. Um, I mean, you think about the NFL style offense and it's evolving, right? I mean, offenses are different right now in the NFL compared to what they were, say 10 years ago, uh, because of just some of the, Talented players they have, especially at quarterback, whether it be a Pat Mahomes, whether it be a Josh Allen. Um, I mean, Lamar Jackson's able to do things that we haven't seen in quite some time. I mean, he's a better passer than you know than a guy like you. You look back to what Michael Vick was able to do. You just think of players like that and how they evolve the game. But the game is just different now. I mean, the the Joe Burrows of the world. We can keep going down the list. Like they're able to do things that we just haven't seen uh, because of their skill set. So I say all that because I think what we will see at South Carolina is we will see a fast-paced offense. We will see an offense that will attack the field not just vertically but from sideline to sideline, and that's kind of the model when you think of NFL-style offenses. It's using the entire field. It's not just going down the field, 20-plus you know, yard passes, attempts. No, it's being able to use sideline to sideline. And I think that's what we'll see more than anything from South Carolina this year. But at the same time, too, you have the speed. You have the talent. You think of a guy like, of course, Juice Wells. You think of a guy like Trey Knox, even at the tight end position. You think of a guy like Nicholas Harbor and you know, what he could bring to the, t- to the table and you can just keep going down the list. Um, Marion Brown, I mean, he's a guy that's got speed. Um, You think of a guy like Xavier Leggett coming back this season. You think of a guy like Eddie Lewis in the speed that he brings transferring in from Memphis. They have a lot of speed, and it doesn't necessarily have to be down the field. I think so many people, when when you look at receivers that have speed, a lot of people want to talk about that. Hey, just vertical. Ver- don't, it's the crossing routes, the mismatches, being able to put someone in the slot and take advantage of that by doing a drag route, by coming across the middle. Now, can some of these guys run those routes and get open and have the cojones to friggin' do that if they're, you know, If Rattler's throwing across the middle and a linebacker or a safety's coming down ready to lay them out. Now, again, the game has changed. It's not like it was 10 years ago where I've I've always said this as a defensive player. The game has shifted away from receivers feeling as threatened when they go across the middle because of the rules. You're still going to get hit, but it's not the way that it used to be. Not the way. Well, have one last one. Still believe that the O-line will be much better, much better than they were last year. Don't let a crappy situation with their injured left tackle get you down. This offense will be more effective than most believe. I think again, the the challenging part is when I look at the offensive line, we don't know what the offense will look like as a whole from a system standpoint, what Dow Loggins wants to run. So that's tricky, right? If Dow was heading into his second season at South Carolina, then it's like, okay, this is what we can expect with it. That plays a big part of that that mystery. But again, that's just a small part of it. A lot of the questions I have, and it's not doubt that this offensive line can't be good, um but it's the fact that you lost a lot of talented players last year you lost a lot of starting snaps on the offensive line from a year ago that's just the reality that's the reality and you throw Jalen nichols in there of course who as beamer said last week you expect him to be out for a good portion of the season at least the beginning that's going to be hard to overcome that's going to be hard to overcome too many looked at the mismatched offensive line and I wasn't looking at the. i I specifically talking about the spring game. I'm gonna be honest with you. I did not pay that much attention to the individual matchups. Um, even even some of the stuff that we saw out there from an offensive standpoint, you know. And that's not to take away things that we saw, but like you know, you have you have matchups with quarterbacks going up against frigging third and fourth string defensive backs. You know, I mean, there's certain things that we're not going to be. But I say that because. The spring game, that's what people saw. The practices, the two scrimmages that were closed off. Those are those are really a good indication of what this team could be. And with the offensive line going back to those scrimmages, there's going to be some growing pains. And that's okay. That's okay because they have talented guys it's not a big secret um but again when you're looking at this team not everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows but that doesn't mean there has not been progress made from where they were two years ago or where they were a year ago but i mean shoot even if they were you know going undefeated if they were georgia uh, going undefeated you know winning national championships back-to-back year there still would be things that you would be talking about just like george is talking about you know what they had to do going into last season so i say all those because uh i, I think this offensive line they'll figure it out but how quickly how quickly can they do that we appreciate everyone that has tuned in to watch today's show if you missed any of it and you want to go back and Watch it in its entirety. We have almost nearly 90 minutes of tonight's show. You can head on over to the Gamecock Central YouTube page. If you're not a subscriber, why not subscribe today? It is free. And then hit that little bell button. That will give you a notification anytime we have any new videos as well as live shows on here on Gamecock Central. And if you're a podcast listener, maybe you want to go listen to this tomorrow at work, heading into work, whatever, at the gym, head on over to wherever you get your podcast, and you can find us on the Gamecock Central podcast page. Hit that little button as well, subscribe to us, and you'll find this show as well as every GC show, plus the 107.5 interviews with the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Wes Mitchell and Chris Clark, as well as the Garnet Trust Hour on 107.5 The Game. Appreciate you guys listening tonight. We will do it again next week on Tuesday, and perhaps... Perhaps the next time we talk, there will be a new Gamecock or two via the transfer portal. Have yourself a good week, and we'll do it again next Tuesday.
0: Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college
1: hoops until they cut down the nets.